This is a Clark University podcast. There was a growing hunger inside of me, or curiosity. I was reading a lot of books and studying, you know, raising questions internally about myself and why was I so angry? As I started to grow as a person, I realized my own intelligence at that time because I was building things, I was growing things inside the prison. I was hosting culture events. I was educating other brothers about some of the things they were into in the prison, which I was once upon a time into, disturbing the peace for all the wrong reasons. And then I began a shift in my development where I was disturbing the peace for all the right reasons. Mac Hudson is close to earning his bachelor's degree, a process that took place entirely in prison until a few months ago. While serving a sentence at the Massachusetts Correctional Institution at Concord, Mac enrolled in the Emerson Prison Initiative Program. He learned from teachers, including Clark sociology professor Shelley Tenenbaum. Here's Mac. So my name is Mac Hudson. I've been locked up for 33 years mostly on a crime that I did not commit. Finally, the parole board filed fit to release me. So I've been out since September 1st. I was welcomed back into society by my family and my community supporters. I went from sitting on prison legal services board to now becoming their community liaison for the racial equity and correctional initiative. Uh, And I'm also the paralegal slash paralegal of that initiative also. And here's David Baxter, another Emerson Prison Initiative student. He and Mac built a close bond taking classes together. David recently received his bachelor's degree. My name's David Baxter. I am um, currently a youth supervisor at, at Roca. I am a core member of Emancipation Initiative, a political organization that fights for the rights of those behind the wall. I'm just a, a humble community servant. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's what it is. And I'm also an EPI graduate. The Emerson Prison Initiative launched in 2017 to ensure marginalized populations had access to higher education. Here's Shelley. You know, I think each one of us always has this list in our heads of something that we want to try on, something that we want to do. And certainly teaching in college programs in prison has been something in the back of my mind for a very long time. I care deeply about the issue of mass incarceration, but what I know how to do is to teach. I've been teaching at Clark for a very long time. You know, I've won teaching awards. I feel confident about teaching. And that seemed like the best way for me to contribute. Both of my parents are Holocaust survivors, and that has really shaped who I am. My mother survived Auschwitz. My father survived a different death camp mod house. All my grandparents were killed. There is something about people being invisible and being locked up behind walls and behind barbed wire that really terrifies me. Something that both my parents talked a great deal about was that horrible feeling that no one cared that here they are suffering, here they are being locked up and no one is looking and really that no one cares has always stayed with me. And I guess I just wanted to see, you know, I wanted to see, you know, what is going on behind those walls. 
I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. The real answer, there's positive things going on, there's violence going on, there's religious stuff going on. So I think prison is made up of a bunch of discourse communities. So you have your group who found Jesus. You have your group who found Allah. You have your gang culture who's into whatever they're into whether it's whatever nefarious acts they were into, whatever the case may be. Then you have the people who's into programming, I mean, such as myself. It's just really a weird environment. I used to call it a makeshift reality. I used to tell my friend, oh yeah, we, we deal with this makeshift reality because I don't know if it's a microcosm of society as a whole, but the rules of society are not the same rules in prison. And we often say you can't go on with that mentality because it's different. There's a set of guidelines that guide prison life every day. And usually respect, or what's deemed as respect, are the guiding principles. Because we know without respect, the alternative is usually violence. Mac wasn't initially interested in taking college courses. As he focused on improving himself and growing as a person while incarcerated, he became curious about college. When I first came in, college was like the norm when I first came in. Um, it was being funded by Pell Grants back then, and a lot of the old-timers used to tell me, like, yo, man, take advantage of that. Get on top of that. And I used to be like, man, listen, I don't care nothing about no college. Only thing I want to do is learn the law and, you know, deal with my circumstance of me being here. What them brothers did was plant the seed, and then as I started to grow as an individual, I became curious about college. And I wanted to understand the mythology in which college taught people how to learn. It was a test of our intelligence and it was a way of validating, you know, could we compete on society stage in these in these arenas? And, you know, and so for most of us, I think most of us who were in that class was raising that same question internally within themselves, right? And each class that went by, each time we passed, each grade we got, that was significant. You rarely saw a C or a D. You know, most of us was passing with A's and B's, and that came from real hard work. Each A and B was like a, a validation. And when we started realizing that we was outscoring our, our counterparts on the house side, that became more validation, but it also led to us actually getting a bachelor's paper. David's trajectory to college differed from Max. I actually had the honor to attend college before I came to prison. You know what I mean, so you know, I, I attended two universities actually. You know I mean, before, and I just don't think I respected it and understood it in the way I did my third time. My first university was the Rye University. I went for computer technology. From there, I left for a little over a year that I ended up getting enrolled in NYU. And it was there my first year that I was arrested for my case in two thousand three. My household was one of learning growing up. I understand it now. My uncle and my mother would make us do impromptu speeches at 10, literally. The sixth grade, I was reading and writing at a high school level, skipped from the sixth to the eighth, but a certain lifestyle had a hold of me by then. So the education to me was just like, okay, I can do this. I was living a double life. So when I lost it, I really thought my hope for a higher education was lost. And as I went through that transition, I was full of anger. They gave me a long sentence that I didn't think I would deserved. So I was acting up my first 10 years. 
But during that process, I met my brother Mac here. And, um, you know, sometimes you meet people that see a certain uniqueness in you that you don't even see in yourself. It took me a while, but when I got it, I got it. So when EPI came around, it was like, wow, here's my shot. But I had to undergo an understanding of what education is. Education is the cultivation of the being. Uh, I mean, not tell them what to think, but how to think. How to teach them to close read and close watch. Listen for what's being said, but more importantly, what's not being said. Once I understood education like that, I appreciated it much more. And I worked hard, I stayed up night, I did draft of the draft, because I was in my element. Teaching courses in prison is drastically different from instructing on a university campus, but not necessarily for the reasons one may assume. Most of the students handwrite their papers. The only time I ever had a student ask me for an extension was actually one time in Norfolk, where a student, during the two weeks that all the students had to write um, an essay, a take-home essay, he happened to be in solitary. And when he came out, he actually apologized, apologizing why it was that he couldn't have his paper done and could he have a little bit extra time. There's no internet, so even getting access to materials is quite a challenge. Professors do not have contact with students except for during class. You know, a student can't email us with a question. So there are some real challenges to also being a student in prison. The students have confidence, have confidence in their ideas. For example, at Clark, it's very rare for students to really disagree with each other. And it's even rarer for students to disagree with the professor. And if a student ever does disagree, it's this real culture of civility of first acknowledging the student's point. You know, you made a really good point, this, 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 and then there's the but. If anything, what I learned from teaching in prison of what a discussion is, what real serious intellectual engagement is, and it is one of the reasons that I so much enjoy teaching in prison. I also think there's something a little bit ironic that's going on. And I actually think, at least in the two programs that I've taught at, both the BU program at Norfolk and the Emerson Prison Initiative at Concord, there's real engagement with ideas. There's real engagement with the liberal arts. It's really about the transformative power of ideas. A lot of mainstream higher ed today has become very power professional. The students want to know, what job is this going to get me? What's the practical value? And actually teaching in prison, it's grappling with very serious ethical questions, grappling with morality, debates, different perspectives. There's really more of a commitment to a liberal arts education behind the walls than maybe what we're even seeing today in many institutions of higher education. Shelley taught her students about global genocide. The lessons made a significant impact on students like David and Mac. She brought a community, a whole community to me that I did not really understand, the Jewish community. Really diving into it, the way she unpacked it geographically at moments and times, and made gave me a much greater appreciation for the Jewish community and their history. To the point where I said my first trip out of the country, my first trip period is to, is, is to Poland. I'm going to the Jewish camps. I made my mind up right after that class, and I still, still true to this day. 
one of the most profound things that I learned out of Shelley's class was this expanding and sometimes narrowing definition of what genocide meant. And then when she started to break down what genocide meant, how it was defined rather by the convention, you know, it really kind of blew my mind away, but it also had the same effect on the class because we started to understand how arbitrary it was, how arbitrarily defined it was, right? And that it really did take on other dimensions of these other aspects that we found in history that not just happened with the Jews. That was one of the real key lessons I walked out of that class with. For incarcerated students, each achievement can be a step toward challenging misconceptions about those behind the wall. Sometimes we live a lifestyle where we think we love ourselves and we really don't. You may think you're loving yourself, but when you when you running around the streets killing those who look just like you, or even if they don't, whatever the case may be, not uplifting your community, I think that's an act of self-sabotage and not love. So once you love yourself, you begin to do better. I often say we're the voiceless, the often forgotten population. That's the term I use. Because society in many ways, not everybody, but majority, deemed us as unworthy. We have a duty to break that steer by carrying ourselves a certain way. But I mean, being upright, being respectful, being so we can do away with that steer. Because that's an uphill battle in here. I mean, so how do we combat that? I guess I can only do it by being the example, the example I want to see. Me and Mac, our stories are a testament of the work we did before we got home. You know, a lot of the brothers respected me because of the things that I was doing in the class. And I want to say this, like, when I say respect me, I mean, not that they feared me, but they respected me as a man, you know, as a brother that wanted for them what I wanted for myself. Education is definitely key, but the first education has to be the knowledge of self. When they rob you of the knowledge of who you are and they create that, that makeshift image of, and you start to believe in that makeshift image of yourself, well, you perpetuate it in a way that you really think it's who you are, but it's just a caricature, you know, and it takes education to break you out of that cycle. To learn more about sociology at Clark, visit clarku.edu slash sociology. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>